through the consequences, all the way through to the consequences of our actions. There was a gentleman who was driving down a highway. He's going about 50 miles an hour. And as he's driving his car down this highway, you notice out of the corner of his eye, it looks like a chicken running alongside next to him. And this chicken's running 50 miles an hour. And uh, so the guy speeds up. He gets up to 70, and the chicken's going 70 miles an hour, keeping right up with him. And this guy can't believe what he sees. Now, out of the corner of his eye, all of a sudden, the chicken takes off, passes him up, and then goes in front of him and catches down a country road and kind of goes off to the left. Well, the guy driving the car can't understand what's going on, so he cuts down and he goes to the left and he goes down the end of the lane. He gets down to the end of this lane and there's a farm there. There's a farmer standing by. He stops his car and he said, Sir, excuse me, but did you just see a chicken run by here? He said, Yep, I did. He goes, Am I crazy or did that chicken have three legs? He says, No, you're not crazy. He goes, I breed them that way. He said, you breed them that way. Why would you breed chickens that have three legs? He says, well, you see what happened was, Ma and I loved the legs. And then when we had Junior, Junior loved legs too. And then the three of us would fight over the legs, and we just got tired fighting over them, so we thought we'd go ahead and breed them, and, uh, you know, so they'd have three legs. And so this guy's amazed by this. He says, well, are they any good? Do they taste good? He goes, darn if we know. Haven't been able to catch one yet. He's <laughs> kind of like, hey, sometimes we just don't think it all the way through. Ah, yeah, a little delay there. Okay. Hey, um, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you have, uh, are married? How many of you are married? Okay. Now, with the, with the same group here, how many of you, or how many of you have children? How many of you have ever at some point or another told your children this? <laughs> Would you please grow up? How many? I, I think many of us have. How many have actually? How, how many of us have been told that at one point in our life or another? Would you please grow up? Now, sometimes when we tell our children, "Would you grow up?" they kind of look at us like, "What does that mean?" You know, what does that mean? Would you grow up? And what we're trying to get across to them is, you know, at this certain stage in their development, they should be a little bit further beyond where they still find themselves ensnared. It's kind of like, would you grow up? Would you move forward? Would you move ahead with your life? And that's really what we mean when we tell somebody to grow up. And that really what we're talking about is the road to maturity. And along that road, there's going to be spilled milk, and there's going to be things that are said that we shouldn't say, and there's going to be times where we skin our knees or, or uh, skin our elbows. And I mean, there's going to be some pain along the way. Growing up isn't always a lot of fun. But it's necessary that we grow up. And as we go through this, we, we need to understand that it's easy sometimes to measure growth, and other times it's very difficult to measure growth. For example, it's easy to measure physical growth. How many of you that have children have gone through the ritual of somehow or another finding a place in your house where you would get your kids to back up to the wall, and you'd bring out the little pencil and you'd mark it off there? How many of you have done that? Got a place somewhere, we got the place out in the garage where you take them out there, you back them up, you mark them off, you put a date next to it, and it's kind of fun to chart their growth. Now, we've had, and I'm sure you've had, where your children feel like, you know, I feel like I'm growing up. So they go out there and they measure themselves and... <laughs> same spot. You know, they felt like they'd grown up, but they haven't grown up. And then there are other times where they just haven't felt like they've grown at all, and they go out there and they measure themselves, and they go, man, you know what, look, oh, and they come running in, look, I've grown. That's good, that's a good thing. And so we look at that, and there's ways to measure physical growth that are objective. For example, we can measure physical growth because we've got, you know, the tape measure and we can measure how tall someone has gotten. You can look at the dates and the ages and it kind of has a progression there. 
There are other ways to measure physical growth. Like my son and I, you know, he's, he's going to be a senior this year, so he thinks he's like a pretty bad dude. And uh, so we lift together, kind of challenge each other. We lift, and, you know, he'll, he'll kind of make a muscle, and, you know, and then I've got to embarrass him and make one. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And he'll go, you know, he'll go out and get the tape measure, you know, the one around the waist, and, and he always beats me in that one because uh, his is a little bit smaller than mine. <laughs> but I'm proportionate, and that's the important thing to always remember. <laughs> And so, you know, he'll do that, and we'll measure biceps, we'll measure chest, we'll kind of, you know, give it one of these, and, you know, and then, you know, he realizes he's got a lot more work to do. And, um, <laughs> and that's a good thing for him to understand that. But we can, we can measure that by, you know, that tape measure. And uh, some of us, we can measure whether we're losing weight, if we're trying to lose weight on a diet, we can get on a scale, and we can measure our growth there, or, or, or our lack of it, which is, you know, some way to objectively measure whether we're growing. But the, the problem is, you know, all these different things, you know, there's child development books that I've seen, that, what to expect when you're expecting, what to expect at six months, what to expect at 12 months, what to expect at 18 months, what to expect at, you know, two years or three years or four years or five years or whatever. They're developmental books, what we can look at and expect. You know, how does our kids or our children line up to what we should expect? That's great for the physical world. And uh, the problem is, how do you measure spiritual growth? How do you measure whether somebody is growing up spiritually? It's a little more difficult, isn't it? Are we growing spiritually because now we've got gray hair or, or, or maybe we're losing hair? And, uh, you know, gray hair just means basically that you're getting old. I know a lot of folks that have gray hair they are some of the most immature people that I've ever met. And in fact, I saw a lady driving a car not too long ago, and she kind of fits that category. This is her, you've probably seen this bumper sticker, but it kind of caught my eye. And her bumper sticker said, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. All right, that's the point that she was trying to make. I'm getting older, but I'm not going to grow up. Well, you know, how do you, how do you measure that? Let me ask you some personal questions kind of to introduce what we're going to talk about. Do you think you're more mature this year than last year at the same time? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> some things don't even need to be stated. <laughs> you know, have you grown up? You know, have you grown up spiritually? And if you, if you think you have, the question I have for you is how do you measure that? You know, how do you measure that, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm further along than I was last year or the year before or the year before that. And what's interesting is this whole concept of growing up is an important one. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, the writer to the, to the Hebrews writes concerning growing up. Starting with verse 11, we read these words. And this has to do with the first half of the chapter, but he goes on to say this. Concerning him, we have much to say. You know, I could tell you a lot more about what I'm trying to teach you, but the problem is it's, it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is but a babe. It says, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. He says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, 
Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. And so the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you know what, I wish I could teach you a little bit more, but you've become dull of hearing because you don't practice the things that you've already learned. And so really a measurement or a gauge for measuring whether we have grown spiritually is, have we begun to practice those things that we've already learned? And are we moving forward beyond the state that we found ourselves yesterday or the week before or a year before or two years ago? And so as we look at this, he's basically saying, you know, and I like this because it kind of gets right to the point, he's saying, you know what, it's time for you to grow up. You need to grow up. There's so much more about God that you have to learn. There's so many more things that there are to learn about Him and to practice and to, and, to, and to apply to our lives. But gee, I can't tell you any of them because you haven't even started to apply the things that I've been talking to you about before. So it's time to grow up. And we need to look at that. It's kind of like He's saying, look at you. Look at you. You're still content to drink milk. Isn't it interesting in life? I don't know of any other area of life but our spiritual life where I've met more people who are content to stay babies. Our children are in a hurry to get to the next grade. We're all in a hurry to graduate from high school. We're all in a hurry to graduate from college. We all want to grow up. Every athlete ever met was in a hurry to get from A ball to double A to triple A to the majors. Or to go from college ball to pro ball. We're all in a hurry to move to the next level. And yet, for some reason or another, when it comes to our spiritual life, we're real content just to kind of stay in our comfort zone. And he's saying, you know what? It's time, in our language it would be, it's time to move on past just hearing the gospel. It's time to move past that. You've heard that you're sinners. You've heard that you're separated from God. He can demonstrate it by the fact none of us are perfect. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever cheated? And we all say, yes, we have, but no buts about it. You're indicted before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've missed this standard. And the only way that we can ever be right with God is to accept Jesus Christ for the penalty of our sin. And so we come in repentance and we say, God, I'm sorry that I've blown it and I believe what you have to say about Jesus Christ and I invite him to come into my life as Lord and Savior. I believe what you say about Him, it's by grace I'm saved through faith. It's not a matter of works. I can't work my way to heaven. I believe that. And so we make that confession of faith or we pray that prayer and, and, and God says we become a child of God to those who believe in His name. Then He's saying, okay, fine. Now you're a child of God. Now guess what? Don't be content just to be a child of God. Now you want to become a mature man or woman of God. You need to move forward and start growing in your faith. Don't be content just to stay where you are. You know, it's fascinating to me as we look at this and consider, you know, I've had grocers tell me that sometimes they sell more uh, baby food to older people than they do to mothers of young people. It's kind of a weird deal that God has, but basically here's the way I see it. You know, we come in without any teeth. We go out without any teeth. We come in wearing diapers. We go out oftentimes wearing diapers. There's like, a, there's like a, a circle there that takes place, and God just kind of says, here you are, here's your life, there you go. And uh, so there's a pattern that's developed. And so what he's saying is, is that, you know, right, I could, I'd love to feed you some steak, but all you want to do is keep drinking milk. And that's a weird thing because every one of our kids were never content just to keep eating baby food when they saw us having a pretty decent meal. Have you ever had a child that just said, hey, that's, this is good stuff? 
As soon as you start feeding them real food instead of that stuff that's mashed up and smashed up and put in jars, as soon as you start feeding them real food, they're like, you try to give them that junk again, it's like... (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) And it's gone. It's off the tray. Bring over here. I want that stuff there. Give me that good stuff. And that's what they want. And yet, what God is saying, what's amazing to him, is that why in the world would we be content just to kind of like go through the motions? And as we were going through this, I was thinking, you know, it's interesting. Turn with me to 2 Timothy for a second. Back, back a book. 2 Timothy, a couple books actually. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. This is Paul's counsel to a young man who is a pastor. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come where they will, want, they will not endure sound doctrine. But, wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. What he's saying is, one of the greatest things that will stunt our spiritual growth is to want to remain comfortable where we are instead of being afflicted in our comfort level by the truth of the Word of God. And what will happen is people will say, you know what, I don't want to hear something that will penetrate my life. I want to leave feeling really good about myself. I don't want anyone stepping on my toes. I like what a friend of ours said who's from the South, said, uh, you know, if, uh, if something about if, if, the, if your shoes are tight, you know, you need to take a good hard look because uh, maybe it's the Lord stepping on your toes. You know, if the shoe fits, wear it. And if the shoe's tight, maybe it's the Lord stepping on your toes. And see, what we mean by that is, you know what? This isn't some place where we come to be entertained and to be comforted. God's Word will comfort you if you need comforted, but it certainly will afflict you if you're in a comfort level that's not right with God. And what's interesting is I'm going through and reading um, the autobiography of Billy Graham. And it's fascinating reading. And uh, one of the things that stood out last night as I was reading that and doing this and preparing for chapel, which is a really interesting thing. Sometimes I get asked Ryan when he's at chapel, did I tell him this story before? Uh, and, uh, and he doesn't remember, so we're all in trouble. <laughs> but I'm reading down through this. And um, when Billy Graham was in Los Angeles conducting a crusade, they had extended the crusade for so many weeks that he ran out of sermons. So he had to continue to prepare new sermons. And he was starting to get a little bit you know, anxious about the fact that we've extended this and I've run out of everything that I brought with me and now that, you know, some people are coming back again and I don't want to preach the same thing and I've got to do something new. But what was interesting about it is, this is what he had to say. He said, a movie star who was at the crusade, who was not a Christian, offered me this word of spiritual wisdom. He said, Billy, you can't compete with us in entertainment. We, all, we know all the ropes. If you get up there and preach what's in the Bible, I'll be here every night. And he said, since that day, I try to follow that advice. We hear a lot of talk about how we need to somehow or another 
make what we have to say easy for people to hear. We want to try to get people to come to church. We want to try to get people to fill the seats. We want to try some way to reach people. And what we try to do is we try to come up with some type of an entertainment program that will make people feel really good so that when they leave, they thought that was a good show. But I like what this guy had to say. He said, we're in the entertainment business. We know how to entertain people. I'm not here to listen to somebody entertain me. What I'm here to listen to is truth. And if you're going to teach out of that Bible, I'll come every night and hear what you have to say. I like that. I like what Paul had to say. He says, we want, us, we want people who are going to make us feel good. We need to be careful about that. Because what he's saying is that, you know what? It's only the truth that sets people free. That's why the apostle said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed to tell people the truth of the word of God because that's the only thing I've ever seen changed anybody's life. I'm not ashamed of that at all. And so what Dr. Graham learned early, and you know what's fascinating? Here's what's really interesting. Here's the kind of junk that we hear. Oh, it's 1997. People were different in 1997. You know what's funny? He was given that counsel in 1949. You need to entertain people. That's the only way to get them here. You make them feel good. You need to do a dog and pony show. They don't want to see somebody open their Bible and teach out of the Bible. They want to see smoke and mirrors and laser shows and, you know, R2-D2 and Chewbacca. But what's sad about it is, is that that will never change anybody's life. And so as we look at this and as we, as we see this exhortation about how we should grow up, I guess the real question that I have as we look is that, you know what, um, how does a person grow up? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Actually, 1 Peter chapter 2. We saw this in our previous study, but I want to just remind us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, look what he says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word of God, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. How do we grow spiritually? There's only one way to grow spiritually, and that's we have to long for the Word of God. God's Word produces growth in our life, in every area of life. God's Word produces growth. I like at one point in Jesus' ministry, he had been teaching some very tough truth, difficult truth, and there were a whole bunch of people that didn't like what he had to say, and after he had said it, they turned around and they left and they walked away. And so Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Hey, are you going to go with them? And they looked at the crowd leaving and they looked back at him, they looked at the crowd leaving, they looked back at him, and they said, Lord, where are we going to go and who are we going to follow? Because you have the words of eternal life. Where can we go? See, once we've tasted truth, where are you going to go? Because truth is truth, and truth sets people free, and truth penetrates hearts. And when the Word of God is taught, you know, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why so many of you so oftentimes come to me and say, Hey, uh, did my wife tell you about what's going on in our life? Say, No, and I don't want her to tell me. Well, how did you know? I didn't know. Then who knew? God knew. God knew. And as the word was taught, 
His word goes out. It penetrates our hearts and it's able to convict us even the intentions and the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. God knows us. He knows what we need. And he says, use this to help people and I'll penetrate their hearts and their lives. Wow, that's good stuff, isn't it? So you look at it and say, how do you know whether we've grown up you know, spiritually? That's one of the things that we need to take a look at. And I guess you know, there's few things that are more pathetic in life to see people who have known the Lord for a number of years who still don't know anything about them and nothing about the Word of God. That's pathetic. That's tragic. That's, that's like you know, uh, a 12-year-old that still wants to eat out of baby food drawers. Or a 17-year-old that you know, still wants to sit and go on the floor you know, with, with a little train or something. You know, it's pathetic. And we need to recognize that. And so personally, I get pretty excited uh, to hear folks say, you know what, I'm looking for a church, or I'm looking for a class, or I'm looking for a Bible study that will challenge me to grow spiritually. I like to hear that. I get excited about that. You know, and, uh, or to hear somebody say, you know, I learned something, and we applied it, and you should see what God's done in our life. I like that. Now listen to me. I have never encouraged anyone to not go to a junior high school department or a high school department or a college department or any other department that we have on this campus. I will never discourage anyone for not going to those places. But one thing that I will do, I will never discourage somebody who comes here and says, the reason I come here is because I want to be challenged to grow spiritually. And I, and I need to be pushed further in my relationship with God. And I'm not content just to sit and visit with my friends. Or I'm not content just to sit and listen to music. I'm not content. I need to be challenged spiritually and I want to grow. Hey, you know what? I, I welcome anyone who would come in with that mindset and that attitude because that's what this is all about. And so as we look at this, we need to recognize that, you know what, that's what's, what, what we're talking about when we're talking about growing up. Now the question is as far as growing up is, let me ask you some questions. How are you doing? Are you digging into the Word of God? Do you spend time reading the Bible? Do you spend time reading it on your own? Do you spend time, as I mentioned last week, you know, meditating on it, putting a little pinch between your gum and cheeks and chewing on it and meditating on it and making it a part of who you are? Do you spend time you know, in prayer and praying about what you've just learned or what you've just read and God revealed to me your truth? I, I don't quite understand this. And you know, Let me grab out an encyclopedia. Or let me get out a commentary. Or let me get out a dictionary. I don't know what this word is. Do you spend time digging in? Do you have questions that you had three years ago or two years ago or five years ago? Have those questions been satisfied in your own mind and you've addressed those questions and you've asked yourself what those questions are and you've got the answers that you, that you needed to get? See, those are all ways that we measure whether we're growing up or not. And so as we look at this whole thing of growing up, uh, we need an objective measurement, kind of like where we can walk up with our back to the wall and we can mark off, hey, I'm growing up. I know I'm growing old physically, but I'm not sure I'm growing up spiritually. And that's what we need to take a look at. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at what he gives us as far as a checklist that will help us measure our own growth. And that's really what I want to look at. A checklist, checklist to help us measure spiritual growth. And as we see this, it will be like you know Peter saying, Hey, look, you know what? Stand up against the wall and see where you line up with this checklist that I'm about to give you. Uh, several years ago, I worked for a company that was purchased by, as they say, a major oil company. And uh, we had to go back to uh, their corporate office, and they had a Gulfstream jet. And there were six or seven of us that got to ride back on this jet, which was pretty interesting because you got to see things you normally don't get to see on a plane ride. And, you know, they had leather chairs, and they had a couch, and they had a conference table. And, you know, you know after the, it was like, that's the only way to fly, by the way. And uh, 
So as we're flying, you know, the pilot and the co-pilot, co-pilot comes back, he's kind of the steward, stewardess combination, co-pilot, serves us stuff to eat, and, and said, hey, is it, if, would anybody like to come up front? And so we're up front, and the guy's going off, and what's interesting is here's a guy who probably had literally hundreds of thousands of flight hours in, because that's what you have to do to qualify to be a corporate pilot, but he was going through a checklist of everything. Boom, 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 boom checking every little gauge, checking everything that was there. Before he got on the plane, he even walked around and looked at everything on the outside. And he was just kind of going through a checklist to make sure he didn't miss anything. And that's a real comforting thought when you're going to get on an airplane. You want to make sure the guy didn't miss anything. And I know in our business, in the air conditioning business, our service technicians have a checklist. Make sure you don't forget. Because sometimes when you do something on a routine, you know, sometimes you miss stuff that you shouldn't miss. And it's kind of like a, a mental checklist or actually a physical one where check, 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 check. Oh, yeah, I forgot to do this. Do that. Check, check, do that. I know mechanics do that. Other professions do it. And that's really important so we don't take things for granted. So what he's going to give us now is a checklist. So we can go through and say, hey, you know what? Well, yeah, I missed that one. Or I didn't miss that one. And if I missed it, then I need to make sure that I take care of it. And so as we look at this particular passage, you know, Peter's going to give us what I'm going to call hope beyond immaturity. There's hope that, you know what, there's hope for all of us that we can actually grow up spiritually. So if you've got your Bibles, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, and we're going to take a look at what this checklist is all about. Now he says this, he says, To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. He says, For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And he starts out this particular section by saying, to sum it all up, and he say, to sum what up? This whole time he's been talking to us about interpersonal relationships. If you remember going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, we saw what he was saying in verse 11, we need to be submissive to government. So there's a relationship that citizens have to government. He's saying there's a relationship that slaves have to their owners or employees have to their employers or husbands and wives have with one another. And he's saying that, you know what, the key to all of that is submission and the key to all of that is learning how to get along with other people. So he's saying that the, the first thing that we'll look at as we go through there is that, you know, he's saying to sum up everything I've been trying to tell you, now it affects every one of you. If you're not married, the husband and wife thing didn't mean much to you. Uh, you know, if you're not working, the, the thing working with your, your boss didn't mean much to you. But hey, you know what? This is going to mean something to everybody. So to sum up everything I'm trying to say, here's what we need to do. And here's the checkpoints for maturity. And uh, basically, I, I've picked up at least nine of them. And the first one is this. He says, be harmonious. Be harmonious. He says, to sum it all up, let all be what? Harmonious. I like that. The word refers to oneness of heart has to do with similarity of purpose and an agreement on the major points of doctrine. It doesn't mean that, that we need to be un, uniform or identical. Uniformity is when we all look alike, sound alike, wear the same thing, we all have to be the same way, cut out of the same cloth, so to speak. He's saying, but let all of you be harmonious, not uniform. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to be you know, unanimous in everything that you do. This is really important to understand. If we're going to get along with each other and grow up and be harmonious, you know, we don't have to all look alike and sound alike. And we don't always have to agree with one another. You know, probably the best illustration of that was when I gave the little thing about, you know, dogs and women. 
You know, we didn't always we didn't all agree on every one of those issues. But what's important is this. We don't have to agree. And the reason that some of us aren't going to agree is because we're different than one another. Men are different than women. You know, and we've already talked about that. Women perceive something a certain way. Men perceive it a different way. You know, a man will typically say, I don't understand why any woman would get upset about that. What's the big deal? And that's the whole big deal is that we don't understand that. And so what we need to recognize and understand is that we need to respect one another, listen to each other, you know, agree if nothing else that, well, wait a minute, was the intent to hurt somebody? No, it wasn't, but it was still offensive in some ways. Well, great, I learned something from it. You learned something from it. You know what's wonderful about it? We don't 100% agree on everything, but we can still love each other. We can still be harmonious. We can still get along with each other. And it's not a matter of who wins and who, who loses, who's right and who's wrong, but we can all learn to get along with each other. Isn't that the first one of the first checkpoints for maturity as you look at your children growing up? And as they're fighting all the time and they're bickering all the time, the first thing you want to say is, would you stop bickering with each other? Can't you learn to what? Get along? Can't you just learn to get along with each other? Go ahead, give her a hug, give her a kiss. Oh, please, you know, can't you learn to get along? You know, can't you be harmonious? Get along with each other. It's not the same word as union either. How many of you have ever been in some type of labor union? Okay, there's an external organization that you belong to. We're in a labor union or we're in some type of a union. We're all, we're, you know, we're in the union together. But if you've ever been in a union, you'll know that, you know what, very rarely are you ever in it together. Because the only thing you have in common is the external. You all might carry a card that says you're in the same union, but you have no, there's no, there's nothing that's going on there as far as a connection of the heart. We would never go out and do something together. We would socially never have any interaction together, but we all may be involved in the same union, but that's about as far as it goes. Well, the word harmonious doesn't mean union. It means basically that, you know what, the, 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 the definition is harmony is agreement. It's friendliness. We can learn to be agreeable in our disagreement. It's peace, reconciliation. Different yet working together for a common cause or a common goal. Think about it in the terms of music. Harmony. What? To produce beautiful music. The goal is beautiful music. How it's produced is interesting. Because as we look at this, you know, an immature person uh, is one who doesn't get along with other people. An immature person is one who thinks they're more important than other people around them. An immature person also thinks that they're not as important as other people, and not in a a positive way, but in a self-degrading way. Oh, I'm not as important as so-and-so. Not as a form of humility, but in a self-degrading, you know, uh, uh, self-worthlessness, so to speak. Let me give you an example of this problem because it's one that is a major problem that needs to be dealt with, particularly when it comes to churches. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You talk about a picture of immaturity. Here's what we're looking at. 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 12. says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. He says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. He says, For the body is not one member, but what? Many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, 
it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less the part of a body. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? It says, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. It says, and if they were all one member, where, and, if, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but yet there's still only one body. It says, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, that they would be harmonious, that they would get along. It says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles and gifts of healing and helps and administration, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? And all do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I still will show you a more excellent way. What's he talking about here? He uses the body as an illustration of the truth that God's saying. But it's kind of funny in a way because I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm kind of pinching this between my gum and cheek for the week and I'm out running and I'm thinking about it and, you know, and, and I'm thinking about what God's this picture is and basically saying that, you know what, the cause of problems, not only in the church but in our homes and in our businesses and everywhere else, the, the cause of problems is simply this. It's just immaturity. We just haven't grown up yet to understand what God's trying to teach us. And, and I'm thinking about this illustration of the body, and I'm, I'm kind of laughing about it because I'm out for a run. And I'm thinking, you know, can you imagine if my foot told, you know, my other leg, hey, you know what, I don't feel like going for the run today. And it just decided to stop. You know, and if my hand, you know, said, you know what, I'm sick of this running stuff and just came up and smacked me upside the head, you know, and just kind of did what it wanted to do and say, man, you know, I'm sick of this running. Why do you have to drag me with you? And it's kind of like, you know, every one of them would independently make their own decisions. It'd be a really an ugly run. It'd be like, you know, it'd be like the wheels would be falling off the wagon. And, and I'm thinking about this in terms of, you know what, here's the, isn't this true of most churches that this is the problem? And I want to use a, a train as an illustration because I think we can picture it a little better. But here's the way it works. The engine is Jesus Christ. There's only one head to the body, and he's, and he's the Lord of all. That we all have to agree. Jesus Christ is Lord. We are all, as we accept him, put into this body. We all become members of it, each individually gifted and have passions and burdens for different things. And so we've got, this, we've got the locomotive, Jesus Christ, who's, who's leading us and giving us direction. Then we've got the next little boxcar, which may be teaching, teaching ministry. I, you know, I think teaching ministry is a great ministry. I have a passion for it. I love it. I, you know, I can't get enough of it. Um, and so I think it's really important. I've got a burden for, to teach. I've got a passion to teach. I've got a love to teach. I feel called to teach. I feel led to teach. That's what God has, has brought me to this point. Man, I love teaching. Well, then you've got another person that's in a boxcar called missions. 
And they got a real heart for people all around the world, not only here locally, but people all over the place that we never even think about. People in Spain and people in Russia and people in Africa and people in Asia and people all over the place. And they got a real burden, man. They've got a passion and a burden for people all over the place. And that's good. They're in that boxcar. Then the next boxcar is people that have a burden for senior adults. And they really have a passion for older people. And they've got a burden for older people. And they want to serve older people. My wife has that kind of a gift. She's got, she's got a servant's heart. We've got a friend. She's got a friend that we've known for the last 20 years since we lived in California. The lady turned 91. My wife still takes her to lunch. My wife still goes over to visit. My wife has befriended her. And she, she loves being with her. And it's hilarious because I know she's talking to her on the phone. Hi! How are you today? You doing okay? Good. I'm going to come tomorrow and get you for lunch. And, and she does that. I'd be like, you, you, she can't hear me. <laughs> you know, hang up. You know, but she loves that. She's got a passion for that. And that's okay. That's good stuff. And then you've got other people that have a passion for like children's ministries involved with kids. Little kids. They love little kids. They love them. And that when we first became Christians, we were in a small church. And uh, we, you had to do almost everything there. I mean, one week you were the janitor, and one week you cut the grass. Or I'm serious. And, and, and then one time we, were, you know, we would do this, that, the other thing. And one time, my wife and I got to be the host of Children's Church. Okay? Sit down. <laughs> Stop running around. Let go of that girl. Let go of him. Hey, put that down. What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, I don't know, but somehow or another, it just didn't draw them closer to God. <laughs> my spirit and my attitude, it's like they'd be leaving children's church. Oh, this guy's going to be that guy yelling at me, screaming at me. Now, that's not the kind of person you want heading up children's church. You don't want somebody in the nursery that doesn't like to change diapers. You know, it's like, here's your kid. I think he or she needs changed. It's like, well, change her. I mean, I want to be... See, you want people to have a passion and they love what they're doing, right? And so if you're involved with seniors, you've got to have a passion for it. You're involved in missions, you better have a passion for it. And you're involved in youth ministries, you better have a passion for it. And if you have a passion for high school or college or junior high, you've got to have passion for it. You've got to love it. You've got to have a burden for people. And that's good stuff. And you know what's awesome about it is this. That's how God's designed this to work. Here's what usually happens, and it's an immature person that says it. Now grasp this and grasp it for good in the rest of your life. The immature person will say this. You know what? He or she, she's just not on board. On board? What do you mean on board? Well, I got a real burden for missions, and man, you know what? I can only get the guy to give us five minutes of time. He's not on board for missions. Or, you know what? He's not on board. He doesn't really do anything to encourage the youth programs. Or he's not on board because they don't really do anything to encourage small groups. And you see what happens is this. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. And it's good stuff. But what most people don't realize when they're complaining about what other people aren't doing is that if they would take that time and energy to do what God has given them a burden of passion for and just invested that energy in what they should be doing, they'd probably be used a lot more effectively for the Lord in that ministry. So what we need to understand is this. Immature people are always pointing to what everybody else should be doing instead of just doing what God's given them a passion to do. And so when I've got people come up to me and say, hey, you know what, this, that, and the other thing are going on, half the time I don't even realize it because I'm just so busy doing what I'm doing, I don't even know what's happening. And I like that. I like to be at that point in my life where, you know what, this is where we need to be. So what I would say is this. If God has given you a gift, which He has, and He's given you a passion, which He will with that gift, 
and he's given you a burden for people, which he also does when he's gifted you to do something, then what you need to do is just go out and do it. And, and, and I'll guarantee you this, that I will never do anything but encourage a person who says, this is what I believe God wants me to do. Because if they're in this car and I'm teaching, then basically what I really need to be teaching and equipping the saints to do is the work of the ministry. So you could be coming to this car to learn, but you're going to be jumping in another one of those cars to do the work. Do you understand how it works? Isn't that awesome? That is such good stuff. And it's amazing how simple it is. And yet it's amazing how many churches, there's so many, there's so many problems and backstabbing and infighting over whether somebody really should be doing what they're doing and somebody else should be doing what they're doing. Or why isn't somebody else doing more stuff? It's amazing to me. I don't know any baseball team that needs nine first basemen. Seriously. And in fact, if you've ever seen it, like, you know, the Angels got all these great outfielders and they got a designated hitter and they got too many players in one position and they're trying to find out ways to play them in different positions because there's no, only so much room that they have for those positions. And God's not foolish. He's smarter than us. He gifts us. He puts us in the body and He says, go ahead and use those gifts. And he's not, He doesn't overwhelm us with one gift so that we all got nine first basemen. And the way I look at this, hey, if you got nine first basemen, you know what? Then you need to go to another team so you can play. That's all. No team needs 11 quarterbacks. No orchestra needs all violinists. Trust me on that one. <laughs> now, I love violin. Um, and the point is that, you know what? No church needs all hands. No church needs all feet. I thank God for people that are gifted for music and they love music. I thank God for people that love missions. I thank God for people that want to get involved with our kids in the nursery and our elementary school and junior high school and high school and college and you know, want to get involved in seniors ministry and want to get involved with challengers, you know, people that are mentally or physically handicapped in some way or challenged in some way. You know, thank God for those people. And what I would do is I would encourage you to encourage them to keep on keeping on and to keep on doing what God's called them to do. There's nothing more frustrating than to have a burden or a passion to do something and have people within the body of Christ try in every way possible to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. There's nothing more tragic than that. Here's, here's my suggestion to you. If you can help, help. If you don't want to help, then get out of the way. Because we're going to run you over. That's just the way it works. And you know what? I don't think we need to look at any of the rest of these because we don't have any time and I've got to go somewhere. Um, but let me close with this one thought I like Augustine probably said it best he said this in essentials unity we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified there's no other way to the Father but through him there's no other way to get to heaven but by accepting Jesus Christ and his death for our sins that's it in the essentials unity in the non-essentials Liberty. And in all things, charity. You notice that 1 Corinthians 13 follows that discourse on immaturity. And he says, and I'll show you a more excellent way that we need to love one another. And isn't that what harmony is all about? Harmony is about accepting one another's differences, knowing that we're all in the same body, we're all going in the same direction, we all love the same Lord, we all want to see the same thing accomplished. But God has gifted us in different ways to accomplish his task, which brings glory to him and not to ourselves. That's what it's all about. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Father, thank you for this time to be together.
God, help us as we look at this checklist in the, in, the, in the week to come next week that we can measure our growth to see whether or not we truly are further ahead or whether we've got some work yet to be done. God, we just praise you for this body of believers who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Help us to appreciate the gifts that you've given each one of us and the burdens and the passions to encourage one another and not to be a hindrance or a deterrence, but to get out of the way. God, we just thank you and we praise you and we, just, we love you for the God that you are. We thank you for your word that in it we may grow in respect to our salvation. That your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That it's able to pierce bone from marrow and judge the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. God, may we never get to the point where we set aside your word all to try to reach people with some form of watered-down entertainment. As Dr. Graham learned many years ago, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we just praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.